Well, today, I want to continue talking about the things that are so important to every one of us here. And I appreciate so much feedback that's come about the messages, especially over the last several weeks since Easter, because it's really hitting home, right where we live, and right where we struggle. We, we talked about first and answered the question, am I truly a believer? Everyone needs to know the answer to that question. And it's not, do I believe in God? Because brother of, of Jesus, James, told us that, that if you say that, big deal. Even Satan and the demons believe in God. It's not about believing in God. It's believing God. And specifically what God has said about his son, Jesus. And what did God say? That Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. There's no other way back to him. There's no other way to the forgiveness of sin than through what Jesus did on the cross. So we have to believe God and understand it, that there's nothing in ourselves that will ever be good enough to go to heaven on our own, of our own merit. We receive God's grace through faith in Jesus, and then he gives us the gift of eternal life. Now, once we have settled that question, then our next question is, am I sanctified? Or more properly, as we looked at last week, am I in the process of sanctification? Because that's exactly what that is. Sanctification is the process of being set apart for God's work and being conformed increasingly into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's increasingly doing more, having more of an impact in serving God and simultaneously, increasingly looking more like Jesus Christ, thinking like him, acting like him, uh, responding as he does. And this isn't an egotistical thing on God's part. This isn't a thing of bow and serve me. This is a family relationship. Because we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, we saw that, that in love, God predestined us to be adopted as his sons, adopted as his daughters. In other words, when we believed, God adopted us into his family. And it says that he did that in accordance with his pleasure and his will. I've known some families who have adopted children. It's always exciting because you know, they'll be talking you know, months sometimes ahead of time. Hey, just a couple more months and it's going to be official. We're going to have our baby or we're going to have our child. And weeks they're telling me about it and they're texting me when the day comes and finally they go and they're just so excited. Well, understand, that's exactly how God feels about you. That's how, exactly how God. In Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says that the angels in heaven rejoice over the salvation of every person. And so that's how God thinks about you. You're, you're his adopted son, his adopted daughter. He just couldn't wait for you to be part of his family. Now, when you're adopted, and that happens the moment you believe God concerning Jesus Christ, then God begins a process of transformation. Just like if we would adopt a child, bring that child home, we would begin a, a process of transformation. Helping that child to understand, okay, you're in a new place, a new environment, new family, new family values. And so we would help them lovingly and patiently become part of our family. That's what sanctification is. God lovingly and patiently bringing every one of us along to be, look more like, think more like, act more like the family values of God's family. That's sanctification. And God is patient. As we discovered last week, what God is looking for is progress. Just like we, as human parents, we would not expect an immediate transformation in that adopted child. 
All we're looking for is cooperation. We're looking for progress. See, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is God-empowered. Just like you, as a human parent, would do everything you could to help that child become a bona fide member of your family in the way he or she thinks and acts and, and the rewards celebrated and shared. Well, it's the same way. It's God in power. He'll do everything that he can to help us in that process, but it requires our cooperation. Now, I doubt that there'd be many people who would be brazen enough to say, well, why should I cooperate? I mean, I've got the first part. I've believed God, and so I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. So why not just stop there? Why not just leave it there? I know where I'm going, and and that's it. Again, I don't think anybody would be brazen enough to actually verbalize that, but you know what? That's exactly what happens in the lives of many, many believers. They stop right there. They never get into the sanctification process. So why should we? Well, I don't know, maybe as a demonstration of thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and dying on the cross for us. I mean, that should be enough. It should stop right there. That should be enough to motivate us not only to believe God, but to engage in the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like God and doing more for God. But, but God understands that that these spiritual concepts, these are high and these are lofty and, and we need a little bit more motivation. So another reason that we should cooperate, and that's the one I want to talk to you about this morning, is because our cooperation has a significant impact on our eternal career map. You know you have an eternal career map? Say, I don't even know what career mapping is. Career mapping is something used in the business world by the best of the best businesses that help their employees go from the entry level of employment as high as they can go in the company. Therefore, experience as many benefits and promotions and salary increases and certifications and everything they can. Basically, it's a map. And it takes them from where they are at the entry point and it helps them to see where they can go and what requirements are necessary to go to the next step, the next level, the next opportunity. Uh, One company uh, I saw on the internet put it this way. This is a store, and it said, for two months, you're full-time staff, and you're working about production and service and basic work stage training. You're just kind of figuring out where you're at and what the new job is. After two months, if you're on track with your career map, then you become a group leader, and, and now you're starting to train the new people coming in. And now you're taking a little bit more responsibility. Then after two months of that, and three months you become on-the-job education. And you're doing duty management, workstations. Then three months later, and for three months, assistant store manager. Then for three to six months, you're deputy store manager. Then for another three to six months, you become a store manager. And it just shows you what the opportunities are and what you have to do to get there. Well, that's exactly what we are experiencing Every one of us, I have, you have, an eternal career map. And furthermore, let me, let me tell you that your eternal career map starts right now. It's not an eternity. It starts now. Now, what I want to do real quick, because my time is, is a little bit limited today because of all the things we have in the service, 
is I want to kind of work backwards. You ever see a movie or, or a sitcom on TV, or, or a lot of times books, authors will use this technique, where they'll go to the end of the story, and they'll kind of set it up, and then they'll, they'll go back and tell you how you got there. Well, I want to do that. So let's go all the way to the end of the story. Let's go to heaven. That sounds good, huh? Or at least what we know to be, and we think to be heaven. In the very last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it describes, gives us a snapshot of what heaven is going to be like. It says this, and John, one of the original apostles of Jesus, one of the original disciples, is the author inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things to us. This is revealed to him of how things are going to end. And he says this, he says in verse 1, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the big family reunion. Now we're all living as family. It goes on to say, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Now, this is what we think about heaven. Oh, wow. And, and how we long for that when there be no more pain and no more, no more crying and no more sorrow and no more fear and no more relational breakups. It's going to be so amazing. That's our eternal experience. But do you know that not everyone's eternal experience will be the same? Do you know that? See, we, we don't get that. So many people don't understand that. They think, oh, we all just get to heaven and we just party for the rest of eternity. That's what we, no. Not everyone eternal experience is going to be the same. Let me show you one snapshot to prove that. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon. That's that new Jerusalem. That's the heaven coming down. To shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamb is its light. Now look what it says. The nations will walk by its light. Do you know? That in our eternal experience, we're going to have national identity? We'll still have nations in heaven. There'll be nations. I personally believe that if you're white here, you'll be white there. If you're olive there, you'll be olive there. If you're black here, you'll be black there. But the difference is, is now we're going to celebrate our diversity instead of being challenged and all this stuff that goes on in this world, in this life. See, but, but we'll have national identity. We'll have a place to live. And look what it says. And the kings of earth will bring their splendor. Now, what else that tells us? There's going to be rank in eternity. Some will be kings. Others will, will rule with different levels. And, and so, see, see, heaven is just not all going to be up there, you know, partying and playing harps and stuff. And what that means is that not everyone is going to have the same eternal experience. Now, now let's, let's back it up a little further. And, and now we're going to look at Revelation chapter 19. And now, now we're talking about the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about the second coming. And it says this in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. This is Jesus coming again. Not coming like he did the first time, a, a baby in the manger, you know, way in the manger, no crib. Now nah, he's coming back in his kingly glory. It goes on to say, the armies of heaven 
We're following him. Now, who's the army of heaven? The armies of heaven is you and me. It's everyone who believed God during their lifetime. Those who had died like so many of our believing relatives and friends have, who have been resurrected at the rapture, those who are still alive who were raptured up to be with the Lord. And now we're coming back after seven years of tribulation on the earth. We're coming back victoriously with Christ. So we're the armies. And it says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword, which with to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus is coming back. Now Jesus is coming back in his glory. And it says, he will strike down the nations. What does that mean? All the ungodly nations. And at this time in human history, humanity will be at its lowest. The Antichrist will be running the earth and and there'll there'll be unimaginable suffering and persecution. And so Jesus is going to come down and he's going to strike down all of those authorities. And what's he going to do? Well, the Bible goes on to tell us in chapter 20. It says this in verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Now, who are those? Those That's the armies of heaven, the people coming back with them. That's you and me. And look what it says. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. All right, so Jesus comes back now. His promised second coming, he comes back, he strikes down the nations, these evil empires, and he rules, it says, with an iron scepter. What happens now is Jesus establishes his kingdom on this earth that will continue just like it is right now. People who have miraculously survived these seven years of horrible tribulation will continue to live their life, but now they're going to live it in what we call the millennial kingdom, where Jesus will rule the earth for a thousand years. And Many and believers who have come back and those who died during the tribulation period because they refused to accept the mark of the beast, they will rule with him as priests, as rulers. But listen, not everyone's thousand-year experience will be the same. Just like our eternal experience is not going to be the same. Not everyone's millennial experience is going to be the same. So what is going to make the difference in what our eternal, what our thousand-year experience is going to be? How you're living right now. That's going to determine your eternal experience. Remember, sanctification is God-empowered, but it requires our cooperation. Now, now I, want you, I want you to read this with me. My cooperation will impact my eternal experience. Come on, now, now read it with me. My cooperation will impact my eternal 
experience. Your cooperation in what? The sanctification process. Doing more. Be more increasingly productive and impactful for the things of God. And increasingly looking more like a member of the family of God. Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. This is Jesus talking now. And he says, I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Another way to look at that is according to how much you have cooperated in the sanctification process. According to how increasingly you have done works that positively impact the kingdom of God. And for how you have increasingly began to think and to speak and to act like an adopted child of the Holy King. Now, now, what's all these rewards for? Now, these aren't rewards like we give today, trophies that you stick up on your mantle. This isn't heavenly bling. The rewards that the Bible describes are crowns. And the crowns represent responsibilities and opportunities that I'll have and that you'll have in the thousand-year millennial kingdom and ultimately in the eternal kingdom of God. Now, now, let me show you something that may surprise a lot of you. Let's go back to Revelation. Now we're back in eternity. All this st- stuff is over. We've talked about it. Now we're in living our eternal experience. It says in Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great city. That's that city of God, the new Jerusalem that's come down. It says, no longer will there be any curse. He'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more more sickness. All that's done. Now look what it says. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Now look what it says. And his servants will serve me. Let me say it again. And his servants will serve me. What are we going to be doing for all eternity? We're going to be serving God. We're going to be serving Jesus Christ. That's why... There is a resurrection of our bodies out of the grave. Because we need a physical body because heaven isn't a spiritual experience. It is a physical experience. And we're going to need a body because what we're going to be doing in heaven is serving God. Now, the curse is going to be gone. So it's not going to be like it is now when we get up and go to work on Monday morning and every other way. And so many of us are going, I don't know if I can face another day. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm my... It's going to be how it was intended to be, how it was before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It'll be an amazingly glorious experience. And the level and the opportunity of our eternal service, of our service during that thousand-year millennial kingdom before eternity, depends on our cooperation right now. Now, now I want you, if you have your note page, I put this on your note page. I want you to circle it and put stars and asterisks all around it. If you don't have a note page, I want you to write this in your Bible or take your iPhone out and go to your notes and I want you to write this phrase down because here's your assignment for this week. Every day, three times a day during this week, the first one is in the morning. Men, when you're standing there shaving in the morning, looking in the mirror. Ladies, when you're putting your makeup on, whatever you do, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say this. Today impacts my eternity. Then I want you to do it maybe around lunch hour. I want you to go again. I want you to say, today impacts my eternity. Then sometime later in the day, maybe at night, when you get back together and have dinner, today impacts my eternity. 
Now, that's our sign. I want you to really do that. Now, 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 don't be a hearer of the word only today. Do what I'm telling you. Every day, this week, three times, beginning today, you got two times now because we're going to do it right now together. But say, today impacts my eternity. Now, the reason I want you to do that is because I really believe if you do that, and I'm going to do it with you, it will remind us of this amazing opportunity we have before us. And it'll, it'll remind us that today, no matter what's going on, today I have an opportunity. I have numerous opportunities to impact my personal, my individual eternal experience. Now, God is going to be very fair about this whole eternal experience thing. Back to the idea of career mapping. Businesses know that not everyone's going to become the CEO of the company. Businesses know that, that people are going to take different paths in the business, and God understands that too. Maybe we all come in on the entry level like, like this diagram shows. But then it shows one side, people want to go to management. So it shows you your career map on how to get to management. The other side are people who want to be technical. They want to be the, the f- folks that actually do the hands-on work. And so it shows their career path and how they move up. This whole idea of career mapping is this. According to mycareermapping.com, it says, Career mapping draws from your strengths and talents, providing key insights that crack the code of how to be successful on your own terms. Now look what it says. It's a code you already have. You just have to work to expose it. If you are willing to do the hard work but rewarding work of self-discovery that guides you through the map, then you will be rewarded. There is no better description of this entire idea of sanctification. What's it say? It draws on your strength. God knows who you are because he created you, Psalm 139. The psalmist says, you wove me together when I was still in my mother's womb. God gave you the talents. He gave you the abilities. He made you unique as an individual. He gave you strengths. And so you already have everything you need to be eternally successful in the rewards that God will one day give you. Everything is already there. What we have to do is sell out. We've got to cooperate with this whole sanctification process. Now, now here's how Scripture says it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, 7, it says, we have different gifts. I've got different gifts than you, and you've got different gifts if you're married than your spouse, if you're both believers. And, and, and the person sitting in front of you back, we're all different. We're not cookie-cutter things. We're not all the same believers. We still maintain a uniqueness about us. That's how God designed it. So he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesied, let him use it in proportion to his faith. That's what I'm doing right now. That means speaking, preaching. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's computing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, then let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, then let him do it cheerfully. So whatever it is, however God wired you, then do that. Use that. Hone that. Make it stronger. Make it more impactful for the kingdom of God. Whatever you do, try to do to where you increasingly look like a member of the royal family of God. P. 
Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. See, that, that's what the family of God is all about. It's a service family. Jesus came and he said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. See, that's one of the highest family values. We are servants. The Bible says we were created to do work for the Lord. We are created to serve him. In eternity, we're going to serve him. That's who we are. Faithfully administering God's grace in what? It's various forms. I do what he's equipped me to do. You do what he's equipped you to do. She, he, we all do what God has equipped us to do. See, we all have different career paths. We have different career maps. And we've got to follow our own career map. But again, today, today impacts my eternity. Now, I really believe that if we'll consciously remind ourselves of this all week, I'd be thrilled to come back, and I hope you'll come back to me next week, those of you who will do this, and and you'll just pull me aside and say, let me tell you how my week went this way. Because I really believe with all my heart, if we will say this and we'll remind ourselves of this, that we're going to face work differently. We're going to face our family relationships differently. We're going to face our marriages differently. We're going to face everything differently because we're going to be reminded that this just wasn't another day where we walked around sucking air and eating food. Today is an opportunity to impact my eternity. Yesterday was an opportunity, but yesterday's gone. I can't do anything with yesterday. It's past. Tomorrow is tomorrow. I can plan for it, and I can be determined about it, but today, today, in this case, May 3rd, 2015, today, I have opportunities galore to impact my eternal experience. Now, let me end with this thought. There is one junction on our individual career maps that intersect. We're all different. God created us different. We're all unique. We all have different gifts. We're all doing it the way he created. But there's one area, at least, and one most important area that all of our career maps intersect. Let me show you that. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter what part of the career map you're on, no matter what giftedness you have, here is the one family value that God causes all of us, that God commands all of us to embrace and increasingly be effective at, and that's what? Bringing other people to faith in Jesus Christ. All of us. All of us have that opportunity. And sometimes that's just inviting somebody to come to church with you. Sometimes that's sharing with them a a, a track or a book or inviting them to watch uh, the Bible series on TV that's going, and just talk about it, whatever it is. But every one of us have that obligation. That's part of every one of our career map, is to reach more and more people. Now, I'm going to make a big deal about that increasingly here in our church. Because if we miss that, 
we can have all kinds of great programs and a great music and worship and we can have great children's ministries and we can have great this and great that. But if we miss this, if we are not bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ, we're missing the most important family value of our new family. That's reaching others for Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice what else it says. The last words, as recorded in the book of Acts of Jesus, before he ascended back up into heaven, and I've shared them many times, Acts 1.8, says this, the disciples were all saying, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. This is what you should know. And Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And today we know that to be the moment we believe God for our salvation. It says, comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to go into all the world. Now look what it says. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what does that mean? That means that God expects us to begin this process of spreading his word, of inviting people to come to faith in Jesus Christ in whatever form that takes, first in Jerusalem. That means for us, he would say in Miramar or Pembroke Pines or Cooper City or Davie or, or Miami Lakes or wherever you live, your city, that's a city. And then it says, and Judea, that would be Florida. And it's Samaria, that would be Georgia. Or that would mean taking it to people that we really wouldn't normally take it to because the Jews hated the Samaritans. And then what does it say? It says, and to the ends of the earth, everywhere. Now, he doesn't say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem or in all Judea or Samaria or to the ends of the earth. It says what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, how do we do that? I get it how I can do it in Miramar. I get it how you, you get it how you can do it in Pembroke Pines. You get it how you can do it at work. You can invite someone to one of the services or you can invite someone in your neighborhood to come on the services. Well, the way that we take it to the ends of the earth are two ways. One is doing what these amazing people on the platform to this morning did. They went. They actually went to a foreign field, and they brought the gospel to children, to women, and to men. And they did a project that would ensure that one day a church will stand on that foundation that was built through blood, sweat, and tears. And the gospel will continue to go out. The other way, that we take it everywhere is giving. We give to Florida Bible Church so that Florida Bible Church can have children's ministries and Florida Bible Church can have women's ministries and so that Florida Bible Church can reach people here in Jerusalem and in Judea. But also you give to missions. We, we have a program here we, at, at, at Florida Bible we call Faith Promise Missions. It means that we give to missionaries. We give to support missionaries who go, that God has called to go literally to live in other fields, to live in other countries, to take the gospel with them. Many of you are involved in that. If not, then, then we need to get involved in that. On your offering envelopes that you fill out when you give your offering each week, there's a place that says missions. We should, above our tithes and offerings, now we don't, we don't take 8% of our tithe and give it to, to one thing and then take the other 2% and give it to missions. Missions giving is above that. But we give to support it. 
We give. And let me encourage you that if you're not involved in that, let me encourage you to take that extra step of faith and begin to satisfy this family value by beginning to support missions on a weekly, a monthly, a yearly basis so that the gospel can go into the world. I'm going to encourage you, as I always do, to tithe here so that this church can do the work of the Lord and you can be increasingly a part of that. What Jesus say? Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my reward with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, what's our assignment this week? What's our challenge this week? Three times to say this. I want you to say it with me right now. Today impacts my eternity. Now, come on, I'll say it. Now, with some enthusiasm. Now, at least one time, I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look deep into your own eyes and say, today impacts my eternity. Now, how do you do that? How do you make that work? You stay in the process of sanctification. Stay in the process. You say, but what's the process? See you next time. But actually, it's see you in two weeks. Because next week is Mother's Day. And we're going to have a tremendous celebration of motherhood. And then the week after, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to help you to know how to navigate your eternal career path. Now today and the remaining time that we have, let's thank God for all these things that he's done for us. Let's thank God that he has allowed us, he has promised us eternal life by believing what he says about his own son. That's all. I don't have to pay money. I don't have to take a pilgrimage. I don't have to crawl. I don't have to cut myself and try to prove to God my sincerity. All I have to do is believe God, believe Jesus, and my sin issue is taken care of, and I have eternal life. Let's thank God for that. And let's thank God that he didn't make us part of a religious movement Let's thank him that he literally adopted us. We are now members of his family. And God gave us a way to do that. God gave us a way to remember that. Jesus actually did it with his disciples. And that is what we call communion. And our ushers are coming forward now. And they're going to bring the communion plates. And we're going to pass the plates. And we're going to receive. I'm going to ask everyone to take first a piece of the, the bread and put it on your lap. And then take from the cup and then hold, everyone hold until we've all received. You can go ahead and begin to disperse that. Now, anyone is welcome to receive communion with us, whether or not you're a member of our church. The only requirement is, is that you are a believer. You have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have believed what God said about Jesus Christ. And you might be here today and you've never done that. You might be here today and you're still living like the vast majority of people. And I mean the vast majority. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. He said, broad is the path that leads to destruction. See, you might be on that broad path that leads to destruction still. And, and the reason you're on that path is not because you're a terrible person. It's because you've never believed what God has said about Jesus that, and what Jesus said about himself when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You're still living like the people on the broad road who think that somehow they'll live a good enough life that when they stand before God, God's going to look at all their good works against the bad things that they've done, and he's, and he's going to weigh it out and say, okay, you did the best you could, and you did a pretty good job, and come on in. Never going to happen. That's the broad way that leads to destruction. The narrow gate is Jesus Christ. And it's not just believing Jesus Christ's existence. It's believing that there is no other way back to God. Becoming a believer is in front of God confessing, God, I need your forgiveness. I get it, God. There's no way I qualify for eternal life on my own. I get that, God. And there's nothing I can do to change that. And so, God, I am believing you that you knew that about me. And so you sent Jesus Christ here to die on the cross. And Jesus died on the cross so that my sin could be paid for with his blood. And so, God, I, I, I'm, and if you've never believed, you, you might become a believer right now by, by making these words your words and this prayer your prayer. But, but again, God is looking at your heart. He's, he's looking at your sincerity. He's looking if you really believe him at this. You would say, God, I do believe. I believe Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. And so, God, I am today confessing Jesus is Lord. And I believe with all my heart that, God, everything you said about him is true, that he, that he was your son, that he came to this world, that he died on the cross, he was buried on the third day, rose again. And I believe that, God, you have now given him the authority to forgive my sin. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to do that for me right now. Jesus, I believe you. I believe in you. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, I trust you as my eternal Savior. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, that sounds simple, doesn't it? I didn't have to take my wallet out. I didn't have to take my day planner out. This just sounds too easy. That's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Seems easy to us, but it came at a great price to God. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he passed it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Then the apostle Paul declares that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Until he comes again. He's coming again. And his reward is with him. 
and his rewards will be distributed fairly. And his rewards will impact every one of our eternal experiences. And today impacts my eternal experience. Three times. Our ushers are going to come. We're going to receive our morning offering. Our tithes, our offerings, 10% of what the Lord has blessed us with goes to the work locally in Jerusalem. And then whatever the Lord moves your heart to give to support the word going to missions, going beyond our boundaries, that's missions giving. Thank you, God, for everything you've done for us. Use this offering for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.